0: Thanks, guys. Well, good morning. It's good to see you all. It's good to be here. Um, Today we're completing our our Advent teaching series that's entitled, And the Soul Felt Its Worth. And this is a title, as we've said, that uh, comes from one of the verses in the Christmas carol, O Holy Night, where it says that he appeared and the soul felt its worth. And then for many of us, what we try to do is we try to feed our souls. We try to feed that core essence of who we are with all different kinds of things. I mean, it's that search and that journey that, that more than anything else led me to faith and, and becoming a Christian after college. It wasn't that it was just what I grew up knowing that I was going to do or to be a pastor or anything else, but it was, it was this idea of what makes life important. It's a question all of us are asking whether we know it or not. Why are we here? What's this whole thing about? That's our soul, the essence of us searching for meaning. What's our worth? How do I find value? And what we try to do and what I try to do was to fill it full of every good thing you could think of in this world, right? You gotta have the right grades and play on the right sports teams and get into the right college and have the right degree and have the right internship and move on to the right job and have a career that people on Facebook look at and go, oh man, that must be great. And to have a family and to have kids, and your kids do all the things you did as major league successes, so that everyone looks at them, going, what parents they must have, you know, and all this kinds of stuff. And we keep waiting and waiting in that for that stuff, much of which is good, to fill our souls with a sense of this is why I'm here. I'm here for a family, I'm here for a job, I'm here to be a success success i'm here for all of these things and no matter what it is that you are shoving into your soul for meaning even the good stuff it will not last it will not give you what you are ultimately looking for it won't and that what we do is keep searching and shoving things in there waiting to fa- just kind of hit that point of going i am at peace this is good i am content i am well that's our soul knowing its worth who said that it's in one place, in one place alone, it's in Jesus, that our souls find their worth. And the question we've been asking in this Advent journey is, what is so unique about God that's different from every other good thing in life that allows our souls to find their worth and value? And to do that, we've been looking at uh, uh, the book of Numbers from the Old Testament, Numbers chapter 6. It's a priestly blessing that we think shows the uniqueness of God. What is so unique about God where our souls find their worth? And I invite you to listen again to these words that we've been meditating on the last few weeks. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that no matter who we are or how we walk in here today, that our souls would gain a glimpse of their worth that you declare is real. May we feel that value and that worth, all of us today, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So what we've done over these few weeks is we've kind of taken this blessing and looked at it and say, what's so unique that we can see here? We've talked about what it means in the first week to say that the Lord blesses us. We said that there's something about how we're wired as human beings, and all of us do this in some ways or another, that our minds are wired so that we are constantly aware of what we don't have, of what exists in our life that we don't have, right? who's got a better job than us, or when things are going to be right here, or who has the right family, or if my kids were doing this, or if my job worked this way, or if I could have a vacation here. Like, If my life looked like this and was blessed this way, then everything would be good. The thing is, though, is that the whole thing is a game, because no matter who you're looking at as a success, unless that person has found their worth in God, they are also looking at someone else going, man, if my life only looked like them, and if my kids only were like them, and if my... If the college I went to was only like that. You know, we, we, it's just this game that we're running around in, constantly feeling inadequate because of what is not in our life. And that what we have to do is we have to retrain how we think to say, how has God blessed us? That God has blessed all of us every day, every week, every year. God pours blessings into our life. That God keeps us, we said. That God is our shield and our defender. That God protects us and is with us, all of us. Last week we talked about this line of, uh, from the second part of the blessing of the, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. We said that that line is a, is a declaration that God has that when we, his face shines upon us that means we're in a relationship with God. And here's the thing, if your soul wants to find its worth, that the scriptures are very clear about that you were created for relationship relationship with God and relationship with other people. And as human beings, and especially we do this in America, we sacrifice relationship a lot for the sake of accomplishment, for the sake of of, of building up my resume and feeling important and having other people admire me. And it's not that there's anything wrong with building up our resume, but when we sacrifice relationship again and again and again, we are harming ourselves and all of those around us who care about us because you were wired for relationship. That's where meaning is found. And this is saying that the Lord will maintain his relationship with you whether you're pursuing it or not. And that's the good news in this, the gospel, is that what this blessing is saying to us is that that when we talk about our soul finding its worth, what's so cool about all this stuff is that you don't have to earn it. When we think about this idea of worth, the soul found its worth, felt its worth. Worth is something that can come and go, right? Something can be worth a lot one day and the next minute it's not worth very much. My wife's from Great Britain. How does the pound, what's its worth against the dollar? And after Brexit, how that changed and everything else. Like, worth is something liquid. It comes and goes all the time. And what we're saying is why our soul finds its worth here is that God does not force you to earn any of this. It's the only thing in your life you don't have to earn is God's blessing. It can't be taken away from you. The Lord doesn't look at us and go, I am going to bless you if you follow enough rules, if you earn the blessing." I'm going to keep you and be your shield and defender if you do enough stuff to prove that I should defend you. I'm going to maintain my face shining upon you if you're a really good person and do everything you're supposed to do. That's what worth, that's how we think about it. And what we're saying in this and why our soul feels it's worth is God just says, I am blessing you. I will keep you. My face will shine upon you no matter whether you've had a good week or not, whether you feel worthy of it or not. That's grace. That's covenant. That's what we celebrate as people, and our soul should find its worth in that declaration of God. So today we're going to talk about the last part of this blessing as we wrap up this teaching series of what does it mean when we say the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now this is a great thing to be talking about anytime, but A week out from Christmas is a really good time to be talking about this. Because if your life is like mine, or if your family's life is like mine, one week out from Christmas, there are a lot of words that describe life right now. Peaceful is probably not one of them, right? It's like, there is so much going on that we got to travel this week, or somebody's coming into town, and who's picking them up, and... Who's doing FaceTime with who, at what point, and when can you go out, and when do you need to be here? And you're going to be around, and you're not going to have to go work right now. You will be here when the in-laws are here, right? And that's just something that you're going to enjoy. You know, it's like, you're going to to be cooking, and you're going to be doing all of this kind of stuff, and so-and-so is gluten-free, and so is gluten free and i got to figure out what that means, and how you cook that way, and i got to figure out who's bringing what, and all this different stuff that has to get arranged and have to do. And so we hear this word peace, and we're like, talk to me on December 27th. Like when everything is worked out and calm and the meals have been done, at that point, yes, that might, that might, not saying it will, it could feel peaceful. December 18th is not the day to talk to me about peace and tranquility and just feeling content inside because there is way too much happening. But I want you to know today that this blessing, this promise of peace is real and true and exists today for us. So what are we talking about when we say the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, lasting peace, now? Well, first thing we got to do is we got to define these terms. What does it mean when we talk about a countenance? What does that mean? The Lord lift up his countenance. What are we talking about there? And then what do we mean by peace? Because these two words are really important to understand what this means, okay? First, the word countenance. The word countenance basically means your facial expressions, your nonverbal communication, okay? So when it says the Lord lift up his countenance, it's really kind of giving details of what it means when it says the Lord make his face shine upon you. What are the expressions that God has? Well, that, that's what his countenance is. There's, we communicate a lot as human beings and most of our communication is not verbal and that's talking about our countenance, okay? For instance, you all are communicating with me when I preach just as much as I communicate with you. Now, I can tell you what your countenance might say. You might look bored. You might look tired. You might look like you're checking your phone because there's something more interesting going on. You might feel stressed because you're trying to like, maintain and keep everyone around you calm so that we're quiet during the sermon or anything else which you don't need to worry about. But your countenance is communicating a lot to me when you're here. We communicate a lot that way. That's your countenance, nonverbal communication. Think about it this way. Uh, I've been thinking today about my mother, because today is my mother's birthday, and so um, moms are, like, amazing, right? Moms, Moms are just kind of incredible at some natural things that I don't know how it works. My moms just kind of figure this stuff out, right? Like for example, one thing that moms just innately know how to do is moms have these amazing bags that they carry around with them that I can't figure out. That it's like if you've seen Mary Poppins when they just like pull anything out that you need, right? And it's incredible how they do that, right? It's like I need I need chapstick. Oh, well, I've got chapstick in my bag right here. I need a Kleenex. I've got a Kleenex right here. I need electrical tape. I've got some in my bag right here. It's like they have these bags that are just I don't know how mothers do this that they have these amazing bags. But another thing that moms can do is moms are experts at nonverbal communication. They are experts at lifting up their countenance, okay? And so, like, for me, when I think about my mother, uh, I grew up as the oldest of three boys. So it was all boys in my family. And what that meant is that growing up, there was constant activity and noise all the time in our home, right? We were throwing something or we were throwing someone. We were, there were smells, there were sounds, there were sights, there was noise. We were breaking things lots in our home and around or in restaurants or we were breaking each other at times. There was just all kinds of stuff going on. But especially when we were in public, my mother could freeze you with what we called the look. Right? Mothers are just great at that, right? Is that they could, we could be like doing somersaults and dumping food on the floor in a restaurant, and my mother could shoot us a look, and you immediately, all three of us would just turn around and start apologizing, like to whoever was around us, right? You just turn to the patrons at the other table, and you're like, I'm sorry, I apologize. And like, what are you apologizing for? It's like, I don't know. But it's... But something bad has happened. I mean, that woman could lift her countenance upon you. Did not fill you with peace. But it had an impact, right? It had a definite impact. That's what we're talking about here. Is what is how do we communicate? And it's saying that the Lord lift his countenance upon you. What is his face like? What is his expression like? As he looks and blesses you because you have value. And maybe the best way to understand what it means is, is uh, written by an author named Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard talks about what this is like. And he says, he says, you have to imagine, understand the Lord lifting his countenance upon you. You have to imagine that you're in a party right? You imagine you're in a party or you're in a room with a lot of people, and everyone's walking around talking to each other. And we've all been there. Maybe it's a conference for work, maybe it's a meeting, or uh, like I said, a Christmas party. And you know when you're talking in a room full of people where folks are mingling, and you're talking one-on-one with somebody, but they're not really talking to you? Do you know what I mean? Like they're looking over your shoulder at who's behind you or who else they should be talking to, and, and their countenance is telling you a lot is that whether they're speaking to you or not, you feel very insignificant, right? Maybe this only happens to me. This happens to me like every day. But like you, you just feel like you're not very significant because they're more interested in who's behind you or who they're going to talk to next. Dallas Willard says that there are also times when you're in a party or you're in a meeting or you're at a conference, when you're talking to someone and you're in a room full of people and it's like no one else exists. Because you are just locked into each other, and they are making eye contact with you, and they are tracking with what you are saying, and they are listening, and they are responding. He says, that's what this is like, that the creator of the universe, with everything going on in the world, and I hear people say this a lot, it's like, well, how much can God care about my life with what's happening in Haiti? A lot. That's the amazing part. Is it in a room full of people with this world and everything that is going on within it that God who cares about all of that has the ability, is big enough and yet small enough that God is looking in your eyes going, I am right here with you. I care completely because you are that important to me. Because I value you. Because you are loved. Because you have worth. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and that we would believe that's true and give you Peace. So we've defined countenance in what that is. Well, what does it mean when we say the Lord give you peace? Because what most of us mean by peace is not what the biblical word is. The biblical word comes from the Hebrew shalom. And shalom is like a holistic peace. It's like tranquility. It's, it's contentment. It is uh, joy. It is fulfillment. It's where you're not looking around for what else can I get or what else can I do because I just feel content and at peace. Now, when we are looking for peace, what most of us think about is what, to have peace, I need the things around me to be peaceful, right? I don't have peace on December 18th, wait till the 27th. When things calm down, that's when I can maybe be at peace, because things around me will just, you know, and I can breathe, and then I can be at peace, and everything will be okay. This is not that. Shalom is a stronger word, because it's not dependent on are things around you making it capable for you to be peaceful. If you think about it, you've probably seen this a lot in your life. I know as a pastor, I have the privilege of seeing this a lot, of seeing this, of people going through very difficult, maybe painful, maybe very horrible situations, and yet sometimes there's this peace to them that is almost disarming, right? Like you can see people who are experiencing poverty, who are experiencing injustice, uh, who are experiencing um, uh, loss, people who are dying, who are facing the end of their life, and they're not frightened and they're not scared. There is this unbelievable, almost eerie peace when someone can be in those situations that says to you, this is not a peace because their world around them is just really calm and nice. It's like actually things are feeling very out of control and maybe even scary, and yet there's this peace that you can just, that kind of emanates from them that is almost disarming. Peace is not dependent. This word shalom is not dependent on your life being calm. And it's also not the way that we hear about it in our culture today, which is that I have to go inward to find peace, right? You hear that a lot. It's like, oh, peace is inside. If I can just get in touch with here, peace is there somewhere. It's playing hide and seek with me inside. It's hiding, but I'm going to go find it. I'm finding you peace. I'm going to look inside deep enough. And when I find it, I'm just going to hold on to you really tight, not let you go. No, that's not what this means. It's not something that you have to create. It's not something that originates from in here. Yes, you will feel it. Yes, you will experience it, but it doesn't start here. What this author is saying is that, is that peace comes from God that the one who created the stars and placed them in the sky, that the one who knit you together in your mother's womb, it is when that God's countenance and presence is, is, is lifted upon you that peace will dwell within you and around you, in your mind and in your heart and in your soul. There may be no greater sign of whether your soul knows its worth than you having peace. That is a product, a peaceful soul, of it knowing its worth. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. All right, so what does this mean? Like, how do we think about this, of like, how you go out from here, and what do, you, what do you do about this? Well, this week in staff meeting, we were talking about this line. What does it mean that the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace? And one of the members of our staff uh, gave an example that I have been thinking about throughout the week, and I'd like to share with you of what this means, of what this looks like in action. This person on our staff is... Um, has many different roles that she plays in her life and one of them is a mom as well and she talked about how sh- one of her daughters loves music she loves music she plays the piano she loves singing she sings in the choir here at church um, and that she just loves music and, and it kind of fits with her right she's a musical child always is love music but she has anxiety about performing in front of people and so she said, we have this ritual that takes place anytime we go to like a piano recital or any time that they have to sing in choir, especially if there's a duet or something that they're doing. And that is, is that they're excited and they're on board and they're practicing and they're loving it, but they get to the moment and they get scared. This child gets scared. So she said, we have this ritual. And if you've ever been to like a piano recital, you know how it works. It's just a long list of kids who play and starts kind of with the beginners and then kids who are more expert play near the end. Uh, if that just bursts your bubble... Maybe your teacher does it different. You know, maybe. If you're like, wait a minute, why am I always third on the list? Well, it, maybe your teacher does it differently than that. Your soul's worth isn't found in that. He said that we always have a ritual of when we're doing it that while we are get to about three people before in the piano recital, my child, my daughter always looks at me and is like, I'm not playing. I'm not doing it. I'm not going up there. And it's like, yes, you are going up there. I'm not going up there. I'm not going to do it. Or if they have a duet in church, they, they're gonna be singing, it's like right before walking out for the worship service, begins. like, I'm not singing, yes you are, I am not doing it today, I am not getting up there, and this mother was saying, I don't make her go do it because of some performance thing, like I need my child to perform, it's because she loves it. She loves music, she loves singing, she loves playing, and as a parent, I don't wanna let the fear of performing rob her of her love of music. Because every single time she plays when it's over, she always comes up afterwards going, wasn't that awesome? And it's like, yes, it was awesome. And she's like, wasn't I awesome? And she's like, yes, you were awesome. You were great. This is incredible. She said, I want her to have that. So she said, we've worked out a system. And the system is that when she goes up to play the piano, I always sit right on the aisle. So that as she goes up there and sits down, we can make eye contact. And as long as we have eye contact, she can get through it and is okay. She said the worst moments are when she starts looking around the room while she's singing or while she's playing because, because anxiety starts building up. Because fear and competition and not belonging and not being good enough start building up again. She starts looking at the countenance of people who are, who are checking their phone and are talking to each other who feel like that what she's offering isn't worth paying attention to or listening to and it makes her feel anxious She starts wondering about where she stacks up compared to the other players and who played before and who played afterward and how she measures up and what they think about what she's doing and she feels insecure. Said that she starts looking around and that maybe she makes a mistake while she's playing and she sees some kids laugh or she sees some kids turn and talk to each other and it makes her feel like a failure. And this mother says that when she sees her daughter doing that, there's this urge in her as a parent that's wanting to almost shout out to her daughter and say, just look at me just look at me. Don't pay attention to what anyone else is doing. Don't pay attention to those people who are too self-absorbed on their phones to listen. Don't pay attention to where you stack up and where you rank against other people. Don't pay attention to the people who might laugh if you make a mistake, but many of them are too scared to get up here and try it themselves. You just keep your eyes fixed on me. Because I am right here with you and I love you and I support you and I am proud of you and I am right here in this moment. Don't cheapen this experience by looking around the room and figuring out how you measure up. You keep your eyes fixed on me. Is there a better analogy for how we live our lives? Where we feel that we are performing on stage, constantly aware of of how we measure up to other people, constantly aware of how we rank, constantly aware of how our accomplishments or our resumes stack us in the list of who else is on stage and performing. Constantly aware of feeling inadequate of people who don't feel like what we have is worth listening to or worth paying attention to. Constantly aware that if we make a mistake or if we trip or if we fall down, that people are going to be there to point out that we're the failures that in our hearts we often feel like we are and that your father, the creator of the universe, is looking at you today going, just keep your eyes on me. Just keep your eyes fixated on me. Because I am right here with you. I could not be more interested. I could not be more proud. I could not be more supportive. I could not love you. I could not value you anymore. Your successes don't impress me and your failures don't embarrass me. I am right here with you. Keep your eyes fixed on me. That you and I are called to play to an audience of one. Called to play our lives to an audience of one who is the biggest supporter we will ever have. And if church is anything, it has to be the place where we learn how to pay attention to the countenance of God, lovingly fixed upon us, telling us of our worth and our value. That's why we give an Advent devotion out in the beginning of Advent, not to create another to-do list on your busy times of things to do and going through this Christmas season, but so that you have the choice to discipline yourself to say, I'm going to see the eyes of my Father pointed in me, loving with me right now, not letting my to-do list and my emails and my text messages drive my day. It's why as we go into the new year, we're going to talk again about how it is that we pay attention to the presence of God through scripture, through intimate fellowship, through prayer, and through extravagant generosity of how we discipline ourselves to stay fixated upon God as God stays fixated upon us. Because no matter who you are today or how you walk in here or how you feel that you measure up, no matter how you feel that you've done in your successes or in your failures, no matter what kind of mixed bag you feel, You are loved. You are valued. You are important. You are listened to and paid attention to. You are a soul lovingly created by God, and you have worth. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we ask this day that we would not perform for the eyes of many, for the value judgments of many, for the appraisal or approval of many, that we would play to an audience of one. Help us to discipline our lives and our time so that we are always aware that you are looking at us saying, just keep your eyes fixed on me. And as we see your love and see your gaze and see your face, may our souls, know their worth, not because we've earned it, but because you declare we are worthy. Thank you for this gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, as we, before we go, let's stand and sing one last song together.